Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. We've got a great show lined up for you all today. It is a massive weekend of Champions Cup Rugby and myself and Fergus are going to chat about those Munster and Leinster games. Later on, Fergus will be joined by Ian Madigan and Chris Henry for a great discussion on some of their best European Cup memories, underrated teammates and Reese Ruddock running around in his underwear in the Shelburne Hotel. And there's a super interview I had with my Ireland teammates, Dorothy Wall and Baven Parsons, that you really, really enjoy. OK, let's get to it. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Well, unfortunately, there was no Leinster game on Friday. That one was cancelled due to a positive COVID test in their squad and Leinster are now in the quarterfinals. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but first we have to start with that heartbreaker from Munster. It feels like deja vu here. We're recording this episode on Saturday night and we're not long off Munster's 40-33 loss to Toulouse that has ended their European dreams for another year. Fergus, what did you make of the game? Yeah, I thought it was a great game. Jesus, brilliant, brilliant game of rugby. Um, you know, a lot of tries, uh, lovely day down in Thomond Park and I thought both sides played some great stuff at times. Obviously, you have Toulouse playing that free-flowing style, but I thought Munster's performance really picked up from that final against Leinster in fairness to them. Um, but they probably just lost their way, um, you know, from uh, in the last 20 minutes a little bit. They lost uh, they lost their hold on the game and, um, you know, Toulouse just pulled away. And uh, yeah, bitterly disappointing, I'd say, for those guys. But Toulouse were, were well worth the win, I think, in the end. Yeah, absolutely. It really was a tale of two halves and Munster took everything Toulouse could throw at them in the first half and still led 16-9 at the break. Was this the best you have seen Damien Dialende play for Munster? Yeah, probably. And in, like, it doesn't really get much bigger than that. Um, you know, knockout stages of the, the Champions Cup and he, he really stood up. I, I, you know, I thought particularly after last week, he was relatively quiet um, against Leinster. I thought, you know, Robbie Henshaw and Roy O'Loughlin um, you know, probably outplayed the Munster centres last week, but uh, he was outstanding for Munster. Yeah, he really was brilliant. Uh, he gave him go forward ball, um, you know, all day. Um, he made a couple of great breaks, um, particularly for the Keith Earls's second try, I think it was, where he made that initial break through the middle. Um, so yeah, he had some bi- some big moments in the game, um, but unfortunately, it wasn't really enough to pull Munster over the line in the end. No, it wasn't. And Toulouse came out in the second half and they were a completely different team and they managed to get on the score sheet really early. Munster have to be gutted about their defence of that try. You know, it was so early in the second half. It's the last thing you want to do or what you want to start the second half with. How, I suppose, you have to look at the Munster defence and question it there. Yeah, and I think, listen, that Toulouse team is going to have its purple patches against any defence, really, you know, Part of the way they play, it's kind of somewhat undefendable, really. Um, and they managed to pull those plays together in the second half more so. I thought, you know, Munster really managed them. Um, the opportunities that they gave them in the first half very well. And then the second half probably slipped off a bit. And then the problem is with Toulouse, when they get their tails up, um, the confidence just, you know, starts to starts to flow through the team. And uh, those, you know... Uh, passes out the back and, and those offloads just start sticking. And once they get in behind you, they're very, very difficult to stop. And um, that was kind of the way the game unfolded. I did think that the Toulouse bench probably added more than the Munster bench as well. 
Um, you know, the likes of Joe Takori came on and made a massive impact along with a few of the other forwards there, particularly in the scrum. So, um, yeah, great game, of, great game of rugby though. Uh, uh, but Munster fans and the Munster players will be bitterly disappointed, yeah. They absolutely will. And two players as well that will be disappointed not to have been there. Well, I suppose Peter Mahoney won, you know, with his injury not playing, but obviously Ty Byrne was on the field but went off um, with an injury and looked like he was really badly in pain. Like two guys like that, you know, they're the type of guys you need in the second half that are going to pull it out when, you know, you, you really, really need it. And that that must have had an impact on the team as well. Yeah, for sure. Because I think in fairness, you know, Ty was having more of an impact on that game than he had last week. I thought the way he played through the Six Nations, the amount of turnovers he got on the ground, you know, Leinster's ruck was particularly good last week. I'm not even sure how many, if he even got one. He could have got one last week, but he got a um, two or three against um, against Toulouse, particularly when um, they were putting high balls up on uh, Intimac and he uh, he managed those very well, took them in the air. But, you know, Tig was getting over the ball very quickly and turning over the ball there. Um, one of them, I'm pretty sure, led to uh, Keith Earls' first try, which was a brilliant um, piece of play from Munster in general. But the back, row, the, the back row, though, for Munster, I thought, stood up. You know, Gavin Coombs had an outstanding game. You know, he, he managed to get over for that try, which he showed incredible strength for that. Um, but they definitely would have missed Peter O'Mahony's you know, leadership um, for sure, because, you know, if he's playing there from the start, they could probably, they would have had maybe stronger guys coming in in that last 20 minutes that could have been moved in off the bench. So he would have been missed today, yeah. Yeah, like I think Jack O'Donoghue was phenomenal, but I suppose traditionally had Peter Mahoney been there, he probably wouldn't have been starting and then you would have had that impact off the bench like they seem to have, you know, it was just the difference between the two teams. And we spoke about it last week, actually, that the, you know, halfbacks pairings there's there isn't a better halfback pairing than Dupont and Entomac and today they absolutely showed that didn't they yeah they did I, they did I think they were they were brilliant um they seemed to just get the balance right of the older kind of French generation of trying things and pulling it off but also managing a game as well I think they 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 have a lovely balance there where um it's not completely headless what they do um, because I actually think Dupont, he, he, he probably managed the, manages the game for, for Toulouse and France, you know, the way he plays, he just marshals everyone around him. And uh, then he has that X factor to make breaks. And you saw that line he, he ran for the, the kind of try that, that, that won them the game uh, where they made the break up the left-hand side, brilliant feet by the, the, the winger lapel and, um, uh, lovely ball back into Dupont, and he always runs that trail line. Um, you know, he 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 gets one of them a game these days, and it's just uh, it kind of sums up his work rate, and um, he kind of sees sees those things a little bit quicker than everyone else. Yeah, they unfortunately do. I suppose in terms of positivity, it definitely was a better Munster performance based on last week. You know, Munster didn't really show up to that Pro 14 final. At least there was some positives, you know, some really good performances. Like you said, Gavin Coombs, um, Dialende was looking very sharp. Carberry looked, um, you know, the more games he gets under his belt, the better. And obviously Keith Earls, he's, he's showing week in, week out that he still has it. Um, I suppose going into the Rainbow Cup, I suppose everyone has forgotten about the Rainbow Cup. I think everyone, you know, even CJ at the end of the game there, people forgot that it wasn't, it mightn't actually be his last game for Munster. We still have Rainbow Cup to play. And moving into the Rainbow Cup, what can Munster fans cling on to? What positives can they cling to? 
It's very hard to draw positives right now for them, really. You know, they've just got knocked out of the Champions Cup and they just got beaten in the Pro 14 final. So a really tough, tough few weeks for the squad. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, COVID has, has shown in these knockout games, you know, it can take the the home advantage is massively taken out of the equation. I think that that would have cost Munster for sure. Um, I think that's the first time they got beaten in York there in five years. And you can be sure that the, the game probably would have at least been tighter if they had had that home crowd. It's such a huge advantage for them. So uh, I think they missed that today. Um, but in terms of positives, I think that, you, you know, from this season, you know, no silverware again, unfortunately for them, but they have some really, really talented young guys coming, coming through. You know, Gavin Coombs um, has been brilliant. You know, he was, for such a young guy, he was playing against one of the biggest packs around today. And, uh, you know, he showed his worth and uh, his his quality. And, and then you've got, you know, Craig Casey getting a bit more exposure. And fairness, Connor had a very good game. Um, and he, 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 you know, he, he couldn't do a whole lot when he came on, but a uh, nice bit of exposure for him again. But, you know, there's other guys as well that have gotten uh, snippets of game time this year. Um, you know, you've got that young second row Hearn who was playing Irish twenties, um, and uh, he's got a couple of games for Munster. So they they do have some bright bright sparks coming through in the academy, and um, you know, hopefully that'll that'll make them stronger next year. Yeah, it's been a really difficult few weeks for Munster and Munster rugby players and Munster rugby supporters. But you're Johan van Graan going in on Monday morning to training. Like, what's what is it going to look like? Is there going to be a review? Is there going to be a preview? Is there going to be like a, a pep talk to G the boys up? Like, what? So, in your experience, what needs and what has been done for the team because they do still have a busy few weeks ahead of them. Yeah, they do. It's it's a tough thing to manage for coaches, and I've I've I suppose that um, the longer I, I went on in my career, you know, the more I realised that you know, it, sometimes it's actually. Um, you know, you know, judging the the mood in the camp as well. I'm sure these guys are going to be really devastated for the next few days. Uh, so you know, Monday might be a little bit early to go straight into the review and and start telling them what went wrong and that. Um, because as you say, they do have more rugby to play in the Rainbow Cup, but the reality is they're going to have to go over the stuff that didn't go well and and the improvements that they need to make. So, um. It'll be some tough viewing because you know the guys will be thinking enough about it. Um, you know when you lose a knockout game in the in the in the European Cup, you know you it's you know it's the guts of a week really until you can move on. So um, you know those guys will be hurting massively, but I'm sure um, Johan van Graam and the rest of the team, Stephen Larkham and that will you know try pitch it in in a certain way. Maybe you know from Tuesday onwards just to move on, um, take the learnings and and just try um, use the Rainbow Cup as a, as a springboard. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll move on to Leinster's game. Bizarre situation, but I suppose it just sums up the current climate and the world that we live in at the moment. Leinster beat Toulon via a, a very bizarre decision. Leinster advanced to the quarterfinals after the EPCR awarded their last 16 game to them. Toulon had a positive COVID case on, mon- on Wednesday, but that player did not travel to Ireland. However, as they were playing in Ireland, several of his teammates were deemed close contacts. All Toulon players um, were in Dublin and they tested negative. But as Toulon refused to replace six players that were identified as close contacts, the game was awarded to Leinster. Um, Toulon say it it is deplorable and it is a scandal. It's bizarre, really, to be honest, Fergus, isn't it? Do you have any sympathy for them? 
Oh, of course, of course, you have to have sympathy for them. You know, purely my Leinster hat on. You know, obviously, it's great for them to get to get a buy in a you know in a European Cup knockout game. But you know, when, when have you ever heard of that happening before? I think it sums up, as you say, the COVID world we're living in at the moment. Um, it's fairly ruthless, you know, for for the not to be able to be given the chance. You know, Tulane have worked hard enough to get themselves to this point. Sure, the the staff and organization and players will be absolutely gutted um, that they've kind of been taken out by this. Um, but uh, yeah, and on the flip side, Leinster, you know, leaves them in a strong position. That you know they, they didn't play a game against a very tough side, um, which you know would have been a tough game to win. Number one, but number two, they're not going to have those bashed bodies. They're going to have guys nice and fresh, and even a longer lead-in period now to what looks like. Um, Exeter away which is going to be a huge challenge yeah looking back I suppose to the COVID regulations and like you've been involved in it I'm currently involved in it still and you know if you're a close contact of somebody well one you shouldn't be leaving your room two you shouldn't be you know you should be self-isolating regardless of a, of a negative COVID test like it's it's I suppose we're so used to this, the structures in place but it's so difficult to even comprehend how they would have got on a plane and how they thought they would have got away with it or how they ne- how they never did the close contact tracing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I found out the hard way over in the Barbarians, that's for sure. But, you know, I was in environments where, uh, in Leinster, where those COVID protocols were in play. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough pill to swallow for those two long, for that Toulon team. Um I mean, it's 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 hard to get your head around the fact that they don't get the opportunity, but the schedule is so tight now with the competition uh, that you know the, the quarterfinals are just next week, and they can't they can't move that because everything has been been put back for so long, and and um, the games are coming thick and fast now. So, yeah, it it sounds like there's a fair bit to the the story there. Um, I'm sure more and more will come out over the next few days. You know, Toulon don't sound like they're going to let this lie. So, um, but at the end of the day. The decision has been made. Um, so, um, you know, from Leinster's perspective, it's just about preparing for for this huge game now uh, against the Exeter Chiefs. Yeah, absolutely. Exeter have just won that game 47-25 over Leon, So they definitely will have a tough task ahead of them. Mm. Um, I suppose if we... I, I just think it's a bizarre situation because earlier on in the, in the season, Toulon, that exact same team, they refused to play Scarlets because the Welsh side had a one positive COVID case in their camp. And here they are with, you know, one COVID case and six close contacts and then think they can get away with it. Um, and then I think the the match was suggested or it was re- requested to play on Sunday, but their whole front row was out there. Six front rows are all close contacts. So they suppose it's not feasible for them to play that game. But it must have been heartbreaking for the Leinster boys, like it was so late, you were captain's run done, your team's named, you're prepped, you know, the RDS is looking amazing. It was a perfect night for rugby. Um, have you been talking to any of the boys or, you know, how late did they actually find out about it? Yeah, I think it was pretty, it sounded like it was pretty last minute. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to be the ones good at being honest. And like, listen, it was a nice opportunities for a couple of guys to put their hands up and play another game at home. But, um, you know, you know, getting a buy in, in a European knockout game they they're not going to uh complain too much about that um that's you know that's a huge doggy life for Leinster to have gotten and and that could really work in their advantage now leading into um as I said this like this really uh you know finally finally um balanced kind of 
schedule leading into the, the end of this competition. So um, it just means that, you know, they don't have that 80 minutes where they could get, where guys could get injured. Um, you know, they could have lost the game. Toulon are extremely good. They would have been preparing for that for quite a while. Star-studded, star-studded team. So, um, yeah, from Leinster's perspective, I can imagine that they're, they sound like they're, they're fairly happy now with, with how things have worked out. And, and obviously, um, it's just disappointing for Toulon. Yeah, and it, that leaves Leinster as the only Irish team left in the Champions Cup. Finally, before we get to your chat with Ian and Chris and my interview with Baven and Dorothy, some Ulster fans have been upset that we haven't mentioned Ian Henderson on all our Lions talk for the last couple of weeks. Fergus, would you um, have Ian Henderson in your Lions squad? Yeah, well, I, pro- I probably would, yeah. But I mean, we were talking about Lions starters, so I'm not so sure he'll start. To be honest, he could you know, depending on injuries um, depending on the kind of form he puts in in the Challenge Cup. Like you'd imagine Ulster will get to the latter stages of the, the Challenge Cup. They could be there as, you know, one of the best teams left in that competition. Um, you know, and he, Ian Henderson's been playing some of his best rugby in years, but it's just such a competitive position. You know, Emery, you know, we all were kind of agreeing and disagreeing on, on the different combinations and different guys that could be in there. But, um yeah, Ulster fans they they shouldn't be they shouldn't feel like we're being too biased or anything like that. We we know all about Ian. Uh, it's just you know from my perspective, I'm not so sure he'll start, but I'd I'd love if the guy uh, travel because he's he's played some great rugby this year. Yeah, and I'm sure Gatlin will answer that question very very soon. Very good. Now let's get to those interviews. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, and it's exciting. Listen, this time of year. Every year is great, you know, because as 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 fans as well, they come off watching like a Six Nations campaign. You you know can look forward to the European knockout stages, and um, you know leading into that, I suppose the three of us are lucky enough to have some great memories in the competition. And what ones would stick out for you? Like I remember when you guys went down to to Munster as well in in two thousand and twelve. What was the what was the feeling in the camp? leading into that week and where was your heads at in that yeah like that when people ask me uh, for my career what was your you know one of your favourite Ulster um, games that you played in that 2012 game in Thoman Park um, was probably the highlight for me in, in, with Europe um, I think as a player group we were confident uh, that we had a good team but obviously going to Thoman Park you know mm. one of the toughest places in world rugby to go to especially then with the team that they had so um, yeah I mean look we we travelled down there with um, confidence but you know we, we knew we had to come out the block really really fast and start strong and, and the game uh, just came our way I mean, you know Craig Gilroy I remember scoring a fantastic individual mm. try but I think um, we physically turned up and dominated them you know I my biggest memories is um, you know Big Ferris I think had his you know, one of his best games in an Ulster jersey. He just obviously dominated mm. um, the breakdown, and and when someone like that is leading from the front, everyone just you know lifted as well. And, and we had a good team then. You know, and my look back, at my Ulster career, we obviously unfortunately didn't win any trophies, but you know there was times where we had it was a serious strong spine of a team. I mm. mean, um, we had John Afoa, um at that stage, and. Um, yeah, just a, co- a good mixture of, of homegrown Ulster players coming into a good Young age. Young and old as well. You obviously Paddy breaking through and then older guys as well there. Yeah, there was a real good balance, you know. And also, sorry, the biggest thing was the Ulster fans that came down and, and mm. um, you know, they 
the Fulster fans had their best performance of the year. They were the noise in the stadium was just electric. And once once you have a good moment, and then it leads to another good moment, and the fans get behind you, and and that's what European rugby is. There's so much um, emotion around European Cup rugby, and that's where I think it felt that it was the first time where we you know, really um, lived up to you know, that the expectation against of European rugby. Whenever we weren't, you know, we didn't, we had, but previous to that, um, you know, we've been up, we'd won the league a few years before, but we never were a dominating force. So that was, for us, it was a big, big moment and, and certainly something that I'll always remember. And that, you know, final whistle whenever, you know, Agara, I remember, um, you know, being able to play against someone like Agara and you see him with his hands on his head, couldn't mm-hmm. believe they lost at home in yeah. such a big moment. And, and us, the, the um, excitement, the exuberation and Johan Miller and, I remember there's a picture of Kavey giving it stacks as well. And it was just a great moment. And obviously, um, we'd like to have had a few more of those moments and winning some silverware. But for a one-off game to win down a Munster like that, uh, it was great memories and very lucky to be to be part of that team. Yeah, for me, with you know, obviously I've been at Ulster now for, I think it's eight or nine months. And um, you know, Ulster have had some huge days in, in, in the European Cup, beating some you know the French giants, especially at home in the Kingspan. And... That game against Munster, as you touched on, and even two years ago um, against Leinster in the in the Aviva, like I and one thing that has struck me, you, you won't hear Ulster, you know, shouting from the rooftop, but I do feel that there is an, an internal confidence there that you know they can beat anyone on their day. Yeah, and like this has been something that's been talked about for you know for the last ten years when I was there. It's about being consistent, and it's not just being able to win those one-off games. Mm. And without a doubt, I mean. Uh, from an Ulster perspective, whenever you saw the draws and you had your a big, big French giants coming to, to Belfast um, or a big um, English Premiership teams, there is like European Cup game week. It's just different, you know. You, hmm. um, you if you could bottle that feeling up and use it every week, whether it's the Dragons or whether it's um, Clermont, you know, you'd, you'd love if the best teams. Doesn't matter who you play, you perform. But certainly there were stages that whenever I was with Ulster, we. Our game's improved so much in those big moments, and, and that's the beautiful. That's the that's the mm. special. The the um, the extra edge that European rugby brings up, and it starts from you know the, the start of the week, the training week. There's different rugby balls that are brought out, the European Cup balls. Um, there's more media attention. Um, everyone's maybe a wee bit more of an edge because there's you know there's, there's so always much more of a buzz. From yeah, the you want to play those... about the, who's going to get picked and all that sort of stuff. The more exactly. disappointment. And then even managing the players that aren't, that are very close and maybe playing most of the league games, playing outstanding, for whatever reason, they fall the wrong side of selection. And for them, you know, for for coaches and also other players to kind of rally around and make sure that they're on the right, you know, the the same page. Because we all know that if those guys who are um, in the bibs for those weeks, if they're not training very well, you're not going to prepare in the same way. But going back to that what you guys had mentioned about the internal confidence and obviously you could see that from Ulster particularly the last few years and you were in a great team there for many years Chris and just unlucky that it was at a time where you couldn't win a trophy but I remember after that you beat uh, Munster down there and um, the, the the messaging for us on like you know leading into because I think it was a few weeks until the final and we you did a lap of honour and we just go in in our heads we were going these guys are just happy to be in the final, you know, and that, that was the that was the flag for us straight away. Where like, these guys are just happy to be there, and I don't know. Obviously, you said there was an Ulster like crowd down there, but we, it's amazing what these small things can do for an added motivation for another team, and sometimes managing that you need to be quite careful, you know. 
Yeah, and I think actually Rory Best, I, I, I wonder after that um, moment of enthronement when we did that lap of honour, it was such a big day for us. But in hindsight, 100%, like, moving forward after that, whenever we had big wins, you always were careful not to... You know, in the group stages and in, in quarterfinals, you, mm-hmm. Rory, I remember saying, right, let's just calm it down because you know, the end game was winning the trophy. It wasn't about just winning a quarterfinal. And I remember Rory, after a lot of games, going, right, let's just make sure, calm it down. It's, this is not the final. Um, and yeah, it's amazing that you guys actually remember that because I, I actually don't remember doing um, a lap of honour. I remember celebrating a lot because we had a few weeks gap in between mm. the, the quarterfinal of Munster to the semi-finals, which was Edinburgh. Um, and yeah, like we obviously you know, we went back and we had a great bus trip back. And, and um, I remember going to so the morning after the, that quarterfinal, mm. I had to go to get physio. So um, you know, it must have been you know, mid-morning or lunchtime. And I was driving from my house to the physio room or to the, to the, um, the training venue. And um, where my house is, there's a big roundabout on the way to the, to the training venue. There's four big statues Mm. up there so you have to drive past it to go around and mm. whenever I drove around I could see an Ulster jersey on one of the statues so it kind of caught me so going, gosh the most Ulster fans must have, just, must have just put up but then I drove around <laughs> and you could see it was it was number 12 so it was Paddy Wallace's jersey <laughs> so I'm not saying that Paddy Wallace was somehow yeah. on this roundabout in the early yeah. hours in the morning I'm pretty sure it wasn't uh, Paddy I think he lent, I think he swapped the jersey with somebody else maybe one of the younger players <laughs> but like everyone that day and then, then fans were you know Ulster fans who were driving would have beat that their, beat their horns because the jersey was on on the statue. So yeah, like that's just the difference. That that shows the the difference that where Leinster were that year in 2012 compared to where we were. You know, as you said, we it was a brilliant win for us. But you, know, I look back in that final in 2012 in Twickenham, um, which was you know one of um, eighty thousand people watching. You mm. know, it was a big big moment, of course, in my career. But I don't have regrets because we weren't the better team. You know, mm. Leinster used were by far the best team. I don't think anyone else in Europe were going to beat you on that day. Um, and yeah, like it's it just shows where Leinster. You know, that was in 2012, and look where where Leinster still are now. And um, mm. yeah, it was fantastic memories in day, but certainly hindsight, um, I've no regrets on, on on Leinster winning and us not winning in 2012. Yeah, yeah what's tough there for for Ulster, and you know, I, I think I've experienced something similar in, in the short time I've been at the club. Was that you know, in 2012, if you looked at the two squads there, you would have thought. Age profile wise, you know, you would have thought Ulster are going to be the team. Maybe that could be the force in in Irish rugby over the next five years. Leinster definitely had a more aging squad. You look at the likes of you know Owen Redden, Isaac Boss, Nasiwa, Nasiwa, mm-hmm. Gordon Darcy, Brian O'Driscoll, um, Leo Cullen. There was guys you Shane know on Jennings the other for. side of their yeah Shane Jennings. Guys on the other side of their career. You look at you know the the Ulster squad. There was a very young backline coming through. Um, you know, the likes of Handy in the pack yourself that would have had been coming into your prime. Craig Gilroy. Yeah, Gilly was playing, you know, fantastic stuff. Um, Katie. But, you know, for me, th- this year with Ulster, like, we, we got into the, the final against Lancer. It was a different squad. And, you know, not that we weren't expecting to win it or we didn't think we could win it, but I think playing in that final off the back of it, we now realise, you know, we're actually good enough. You know, we competed hmm. for a period of time in that final. Um, we've played Lancer a couple of times since. We know that we can go toe to toe with them, and you know the belief is there for me in the current group. Like, what do you think it was that you didn't kick on from that European final and, and, and get a get a trophy? 
you know, we had ch- there was a couple of semi-finals um, where um, we were played Leinster down in Leinster because, or sorry, the final was played in Leinster oh, because yes, in the yeah. league because Kingspan was being um, refurbished. So I think that was a big moment. I do believe that if that was played yeah. in a neutral venue or especially Kingspan, I think that yeah. could have been a different day. Um, that was the year you went like fourteen in a row. And, yeah, well, yeah, well yeah. we got we won. I think we you know, won the league, but we obviously yeah. had to play in the playoffs. Um, and then the other year. Um, Ulster played um, Glasgow away in a semi-final and we were winning the game the whole way through and um, I think it was Ricky Lutton pulled um, Glasgow's scrum half right at the end and then they, the penalty was reversed and they went up the other end and scored last play of the game. So two two moments that I go, yes, that could, there, there was trophies that, could, that have gone missing yeah. in Ulster and it's, you know, now I've hung up the boots I don't think about it you know, hardly at all until I'm talking with old rugby friends. But it is those. I regret yeah. those moments way more than what I do in that 2012 final because, as you as you renamed off all those Leinster players, and yes, we had our um, John Afoa, Tom Courts, and you know, real good spined our team, but we not the same caliber, I guess, of yeah. what that Leinster side. And I do you think Ulster, um, from someone who's been out away from Ulster for two years now, um, I think of being in the in the Challenge Cup could be the best thing best thing for that group you know it could be a great stepping stone like, to win that it's not an easy competition to win absolutely not. there's an yeah. awful lot of good teams that are still in that mm. and you know it's often you know that success there can breed success going forward you know in the actual champions cup and whether it's domestically as well and it can be a really good springboard so i think it is a great opportunity for you and mm. I, I you can tell me if i'm wrong but i don't think ulster have ever played no in the challenge cup Okay. The only province I think that haven't had to go to the challenge cup, yeah. just the way it's worked out. So it's a fresh tournament. It's completely new. It's like, um, yes, there's some great teams there. You know, Montpellier, um, you know, London Irish, so they're playing well. You know, yeah. but but there's no the fear factor for Ulster definitely shouldn't be there. You know, we, um, you know, a bit of you know, it's like the psychology of it, a bit of momentum. Um, yeah, I just think that there's a, a great young group uh, at Ulster at the moment, and, and there's no reason why this couldn't be there. This couldn't be a great avenue for us to, to, to lift the trophy um, for the season. Great yeah, opportunity, like, anyway. You touched on it there, Fergie, saying like a stepping stone. Like when Leinster won it in, I think it was 2000, was it 2013, maybe? or the, Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and then Cameron we, Cup then, we, won, yeah. we won the Europe, the tra- uh, Champions Cup the following year. Um, no, we know, won the league the following year. Do we not win the Champions Cup the following year? No, we won it's the... hard to remember, isn't it? It's just yeah. so many. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. Like, I'm going yeah. home. I'm yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, so but, listen, why do you why do you think you didn't win a trophy? Can we go back on that question again? <laughs> but uh, you I'm know, out, I'm out of here. Which one was it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was the league. No, was, the league yeah. next next year. Yeah. yeah but I know what uh, what I actually think it did for that team was there was a couple of European successes, and it, it probably humbled the group a little bit. Because we weren't at where where we needed to be, and we're talking about you know nights. Remember great European nights. I remember some some pretty bleak ones as well. Like I remember heading over to Claremont, and we got f- we got beaten pretty 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 well over there. And then we came back, and they they also beat us in Dublin, and we didn't get out of the group stages, and that's why we ended up in the Amlin Cup. But we're talking about you know great days, but this. You invest so much as it's 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 the most you invest from a club level, you know, as players and yeah. a group. Your goal at the start of the year, I'm sure it has been, for all the years you were playing, was was really is is to win it. If you have any sort of backbone in your team or good squad, you have to be ambitious enough to win it. 
And I suppose these are the weeks and we're talking about big days and all the rest, but those days are so, so important. You know, the prep each day, making sure the detail is right early on the week. Like, I'm not sure what, what difference have you found for European weeks from, from say, being, you know, in a Bristol, being in Bordeaux, being in, in Leinster to being up in Ulster? What's, what's the difference? Yeah, the, like, definitely being with, you know, Leinster or Ulster, it's a, a real switch, you know, the Irish sides hold Europe on a real pedestal in in France and and in in, in England. Um, they're probably on parity, you know. So you, you don't quite feel the exact same buzz. But for, you know, speaking of my experience with with Ulster and Leinster, you know, everything from when the team's getting announced to that European music coming on, you know, it's like your, it's like the squad doubles for European games. I don't know what it is. Obviously, all your internationals are, are back in. All these players who've been injured seem to come out of the woodwork, and you know yeah, yeah. it's all the lads that couldn't play against the dragons. Like, I'm actually, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good now. I'm fit. Yeah, cheers. So it's um, it makes for a very competitive training week. You know that was one thing I always remembered. You know, it was just how ferocious the training was because everyone knew that like you're, it's nearly test match standard going into a, you know a top level European game. Um, you know, and even walk, walk the two teams walking out together. They're small things, but you you notice as a player, geez, it's different this week. We are we're on here. It's Europe, mm, yeah. massively so. But um, I remember like the Northampton game in two thousand and eleven. Just going back on, I suppose, a few memories, and that one was just a really special one. I remember like the two of us were on the bench, but um, over the years, people kind of I know people talk about the halftime chat that Johnny had made, but really. I remember so much going on, and I remember him talking. What was your recollection of it? Yeah, like I, I remember, like obviously we've we've played in games where things aren't going well, and you just don't regain control. But sometimes you can get a feeling, you know, even though if, even though you might go fifteen or twenty points down, you get a feeling kind of going, we're not out of this yet. And it, there was definitely wasn't that feeling at halftime of any loss of control. Um, obviously, Johnny spoke and yeah, you know, that, that, that and spoke really well. But I remember Joe stepping in and just being so clear on his delivery of, of messages on what wasn't done in the first half, but how close it is to working, you know, to go out and execute it in the second half. And, you know, obviously as a as an out half, I'm just thinking strategy and, and you know, what, what plays are you thinking offline at? What plays are you thinking off scrum? And it was, it was you know, an amazing performance in the second half, but it was looking back on it, seeing what he said actually coming to life and, and players yeah. executing in the second half. And getting the, you know getting those tries to get us back into the game and like ultimately what happened there for me was we just broke Northampton, you know and there was a kind of feeling even with like fifteen minutes to go there was a feeling this game is done it's over. Um, it's funny though how certain moments can turn a final you know like like could be a, it could be a scrum penalty. Remember our scrum was going backwards. The proper had the reverse lights on in the first half and then I think one of the first scrums in the second half in the first couple of minutes scrum penalty and then you're going like then to the belief just starts sending you can feel that like just you know filtering through to everyone in the team and on the flip side then I remember in you know I was I was, I was watching the game I, I didn't get picked but the final in, in 2019 against Saracens and just a few moments you know a few moments that you could see the, the belief was almost it was just draining out of the lads of the couple of things that Saracens just kept getting getting right. We were pounding pounding their line on several times. Just crucial turnovers, 
you know, Liam Williams getting the ball back one time, stuff like that, such energy kind of boosters for one team and such such a, a drainer for for the other. Um, it's it's interesting how they play out because the the margins really in the finals for majority of finals they're, they're not much, you know. So it's yeah. just about getting those smaller it's, moments. It's funny like, you say that. Like I remember in that Northampton game, we were, had like a kind of surging attack and someone threw like a dreadful pass and like Leo, like you know, obviously he's a fantastic player, but like wouldn't have had the most amazing hands and probably not the most flexible guy either. But I'll never forget. He wasn't this. throwing your skip passes in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget this. He would have put his back out of the <laughs> This catch he made leading up to I think one of Johnny's tries. It was like he had super glue in his hands. Yeah, it was yeah. up. But it, it's funny. Like I don't remember a whole lot. But that was one thing that stepped out in my mind. I remember just thinking, geez, that was a huge moment. You knock that on, they exit, yeah. the game can get away from you. Yeah, I know. And uh, I suppose that like, lead me on to another point of, of you know, hostile environments to go to. Because you're talking there about Raven Hill and the difference that would have made. Like, we know from being a Leinster player for a long time, we know how tough it is to go there. Like, it's, it's such a tough place to go. When you have a full crowd there... Um, it's 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 so it's so difficult. It's so difficult to come away with the win. I think you play a different team when you play Ulster up there. Um, but what were the tougher grounds that you went to that were maybe outside of the country, not not Irish? Um, I think you you mentioned the, the team um, a few moments or a few minutes ago about Clermont mm. away. You know, I um, the noise of that stadium in Claremont is incredible and obviously you're playing against like in the European Cup as you mentioned the, the internationals are all there so you've got your two best teams coming at each other and whenever we play Claremont um, you know we, we came out to blow we, we, it was a, it's such a fast um, it, was, it was such a, a great pitch as well so the game just started such a frantic pace and the offloads and you're just going and then it, it feels like the crowd's on top of you mm. and every mistake it's just they that have those noise they have those little batons that, as well so they don't stop banging something. those until, until the fans know that the Clermont have won they don't stop banging these <sighs> so I remember going in the game like um, for the line out so for the line out we had, you have to prep that if you can't hear the call you need to that we had calls where we had to like speed it up because you knew that if we make a call when you're in the lineout, you won't be if you're behind. You can't hear, so you can't hear your trigger calls. So mm. we like literally had like so many calls where it was like right if you're ha- you know obviously hand signals things like that just to quicken up and give us options because there's times where you cannot hear what is going on, what mm. the call is. Um, so it's just the intimidation because of- the capacity there isn't even that. I think yeah. it's something. I think it's something like. 18,000. But you're it, coming it from... literally sounds... Change it sounds like 100,000. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. change are so It's a perfect rugby stadium, though. Mm. Like, it's like four walls, and then there's a mix of, of terracing as well on, on ground level. Yeah. So, like, you you feel like the, the crowd are right on top of you. Yeah. And then, obviously, the, having people standing around creates, you know, a very special kind of rugby atmosphere that you wouldn't get in a soccer stadium as such. I think their crowd as well, it's kind of... <clears> the city is made up for a really good following for rugby side. Industrial yeah. city... You know, um, that's the main team. They don't really yeah. have a soccer team there. They, they're a very good team. Um, but yeah, some of the experiences, never won over there. But the experiences, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. Probably the toughest place I've played in Europe. But another one that would stick out for me would have been um, Toulon. We went over to play them. We were both involved in this game, Mads, I think, where we had Matt O'Connor was the coach. And we had them in the group stages. Um, and I think it was 2002. 15. Sorry, it wasn't actually. It was the quarter final. Do you remember we got to a quarter final and got knocked yeah. out? Yeah. 
we got knocked out of a quarter final and it was over there. Yeah. And um Leo coach then, was he? No. No. No, I don't think he don't think he was. This is earlier on, yeah. Yeah, but but they they throw their newspapers up in the air oh, when yeah. they think their team is, you know, won. And unfortunately, they, so they all have a newspaper underneath their seat and they fire it in the air. And I think it was like 15 minutes in, the newspapers were up. I was like, oh, jeez, this is going to be a long, yeah. long day at the office. That was the team when they had Gitto, they had Wilkinson. They were winning the three in the early two hours. Their, well. their pack was so strong. When we were like running into a brick wall. It's a small pitch as well. Yeah, yeah, it just felt like there was no space that day. Mm. Very tough. Um, another point that, I, that I'd like to kind of talk to you about is, I suppose, the culture of, of coaches, I suppose, in years gone by, you know, pitching, pitching a group in a way where you're, you're, you're driving the emotional energy up in the group and in, in the room, maybe right before the game or days before. And I think from coaches that I've had recently and in the past few years and successful ones, that's probably gone out of the game. Do you know, I, I, what, what experiences do you have where, I suppose there's, there's an example of, of Declan Kidney, I suppose he had all the, the Munster boys crying the night before the 2000 Heineken Cup final against Northampton. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they lost the game. So I think there's, there's probably, it's debatable as to, to, to know what, what exactly is the best thing to do. Well, I mean... From my perspective, that's probably one of the things that has that changed the most from whenever I was a 21, 22-year-old and a 30-year-old in that Ulster team or with Ireland. You could win games without a doubt back in the day before teams were professional, but were they really were they really that next standard? And I think mm. teams feeding off the um, passion and, you know, bouncing off the walls and crying. And, you know, I remember my first few caps for Ulster, I was so nervous that I'd have to go to the toilet and be sick. Hmm. Before and before my first Irish cap, I can't remember, but I'm sure I probably was retching because of nerves. So you have you, you have your pre-match meals and all that sitting there, and you have adrenaline. Um, it, when as you get older, and I think the professional teams nowadays, like the psychology around it all, you cannot waste energy in that yeah. way. Like I, me being sick before test match, and well, that's energy. I needed that to be able to keep going. And hmm. uh, you know, it's, it sounds st- stupid, but one percent there's small margins. And I do think that um, when I first started, you you were you team talks were loud, aggressive, you know, you were people were bouncing off the walls. That didn't happen in my last, mm. you know, five years playing pro rugby because, it, you know, you, it's just perfect. You knew that if you were able to perform, yes, there's a, there's always going to be emotional. You're always going to bring emotional edge of rugby. It has to mean something more to you, mm. um, but you can't waste your energy the way. Yeah, I, I think, think it's about, I think it's about channeling it in, in, mm. in a certain way, um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, like I love, like it's still rugby will always have an emotional side to it, and to see tears, I know you love a good cry uh, during a rugby pitch, but <laughs> but yeah, you can't. You, the game has changed. You have to Madden make CJ. Oh, I'm <laughs> crying together. <laughs> or he actually probably outcried you there the other week. Well, in but listen, um, a lot of focus on the Six Nations these past few weeks, and um, Dev Toner setting that record yesterday, and what a fitting, like to be the most capped Leinster player. Um, of all time and so durable you know we've all played with him and are great friends with the guy what what a top man and an amazing player and um i suppose in in, in ways you could you could say dev was and i know he has 70 caps for ireland and he has all these trophies but in ways you could you could probably call him underrated would you agree yeah like he's not a player who who grabs the headlines or 
um, if he's not in the team in a given week, that, that, that they're going, oh, geez, we're in trouble, Dev's not in. But uh, we had the joy of playing with him, all three of us. And he was just a guy who consistently hmm. produced every single... Like, it was always sevens, eights, every single weekend. If you, if you look through his, you know, 300... The guts of 350 professional games he's played, how many times has he had a five? Hmm. Or, you know, even, you know, four or five? Never. Like, he's just rock solid. How many people has he injured in those 300 Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Including his own teammates. Similar to that number. He was, yeah. Even when he'd run into you in training, it was always a very unenjoyable experience. You always seem to cop a knee or an elbow. I'm convinced uh, his bones are made of different, something, something different <laughs> than what they're... I, I remember one of the camps, I mean, he never, to reach those numbers that you just said, you have to be so durable. Oh. And I, one of the days... In that position as well. In that position, you know, unbelievable. And he was on a physio bed one day, and I remember everyone just going... She steps on a physio bed. What's yeah, going on? And yeah. um, it, it was a, it was a pretty sure it was an ankle. And yeah, it was fine. Strapped up, and he played. You know, he never. I don't. I don't never got him. massage. Never got massage oh. treatment, which is like it, for a forward, like getting like yeah. bangs rubbed out and stuff. Optional yoga. No, Delighted extra, though, like, no yoga. No yoga. <laughs> no, no. I mean, from from my perspective, like I, I you know, um, very stretched his hamstring before he ran. Not that I don't think he has any, but we're going on to sorry, but just talking about kind of underrated players. Um, and I suppose ones you've played with another one I thought an outstanding game yesterday he's been playing great rugby for for a, a number of seasons now particularly this year was Reese, and I think oh, he's, yeah. a, he's a guy that like anyone that plays has played with him or played against him would not underrate him in any way but what I'm trying to say is you look how many caps he has like that guy should have more caps and I just don't understand mm. why he doesn't but um, for me he was just one of those guys that like you play with him and you you know, he's one of the first people you want on your team sheet beside you, just in the trenches on a tough day. Like, what guys, what examples could you give from guys over the years that, you, like, you would say were maybe a little bit underrated? Um, I mean, you know, race the obvious one that jumps on me, just because I played with him for such a long time, from even like Irish schools the whole way up, or again and against for Leinster's Kevin McLaughlin. Um, I think the Kev could have mm. got um, not. I mean, he had an unbelievable Leinster career, obviously, but. I don't know how many Irish caps he had, but in a different time, I think he could have got a lot, lot more. Obviously, he had to finish with um, career-ending injury. From an Ulster perspective, I think someone that is um, quite underrated, even though he's had a great Ulster career, is Luke Marshall. So yeah. Luke's been um, suffered such a bad luck with injuries. Obviously, there's so many centres in Ireland and in Ulster, young uh, pups coming through. But every time Luke comes back from an injury, he, he kind of reminds you. Then you go, oh gosh, I, I, I remember what now why he's so good. He's such like a, a defensive leader for that Ulster team. And, and I don't know how many caps he's had for Ireland. I don't think it's even in double figures, but I think... still a young man. He is still a young man, around. yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously, I don't know when he's due to come back. Yeah, even but touching on that, like you can see, I think it's, yeah, you almost have to play within the, with, with these guys in their team to fully appreciate them. And, and I think as players, it's about seeing the unseen work. You know, and like in fairness to Fergie, like you were, you know, one of the best I've played with uh, on that front. But Luke, Luke he's very... Fergie's very underrated. <laughs> You should have way more. I probably, I probably, I probably was actually. I think we need to take a full section to talk about that. No, I'll give you that fifty quid after that. Thanks, million. No, but it, like it, it's you know it's going from rook to rook. It's making a, a selfless run to to run a dummy line. It's you know chasing back when someone breaks through, and you only really pick up on these things when you're doing a, a full game review with your own team. And if you see the same guys popping up over and over. 
you just developed this unbelievable respect for them. And, and exactly. Lukey Marshall is definitely one of them. Dev is another one of them. Reese, you know, something like Owen Redden, you know, for me, when I was coming through, I would have been really nervous before games. And like one thing that definitely would have calmed my nerves would have been knowing what the guys around me were going to bring. Um, and you know, playing with, with Reds or would have he would have been someone I know he's going to you know be guaranteed to have a seven or an eight. Hmm. You know, the core parts of his game are going to be on. Um, he's going to know all his detail, and that would have settled me down a lot and given me confidence in, in my own game. Speaking of self selfless actions, can you do, do you have a bit of a story about Reese off the pitch where he? Yeah, he yeah, I, for you. I have a, a good wee story about Reese um, Relic. So in two thousand and fourteen. We were rooming together during the um, the autumn's, uh, autumn series and we were due to play South Africa and um, I was due to start and I suffered a uh, mini stroke that morning. So obviously um, pretty life-changing event for me, but Reese was my roommate. So mm-hmm. we're in the Shelburne and the morning of the test match, I was due to start feeling great. Um, went into the into the toilet, first thing we woke up and um, yeah, the, the mini stroke came on so I lost my voice, um, side of my face dropped and my arm, all the strength of my arm dropped, so pretty scary. Um, but I mumbled to Reese. so Reese jumps out of bed, comes into the bathroom and you know, I couldn't speak to him but he could see that something serious, obviously something pretty serious was going on. So Reese then um, just ran straight out of the door to get help. So he ran through the, the Shelburne, um, you know, past all guests, staff, through the hotel lobby to find the Irish doctor. I think he ran back, you know, him and the doctor were back in our room within like six, seven minutes. And at that stage I had recovered and was all fine. But what um, what the hero that Reese was, so Reese, whenever Reese slept in his boxer shorts and that was it. Yeah. So instead of Reese, you know, going, oh gosh, right, I better grab a t-shirt or shorts or tracks at bottoms. He went, no, no, I just got to get help. So he ran out the door, just yeah. in his boxers. Um, all this Run around the, the main bar in the shop. Run around the bar and shouting, <laughs> laugh, shouting for help. And, you know, obviously race is in good shape. So I think every female guest and, and female staff you know, had a real treat that day by, by seeing Reese, uh, um, you know, just in his boxer shorts. But no, I like that. Um, and then Reese um, ended up starting. He played in the game, yeah. Played, opens, uh, start, started my position. Scored a try. Appreciate sure it, man. The match. He was brilliant. And, but turns then, out he actually drugged you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did drug me on that before. <laughs> yeah, but no, but, uh, just, he just uh, ran his boxers to make it realistic <laughs> yeah, that it wasn't yeah. him. <laughs> but on that note, lads, that's a great story to finish with. Um, but uh, cheers for that. That was great. They will be great value. They'll be great value, and you'll be able to really buzz off them, and they will buzz off one another, and. It, you won't be shy of laughs. Your sides will be sore from laughing. Um, they're, um, yeah, they know each other very well. And do you know what? Um, it's just, I hope they know where to, <laughs> to leave things because it is, it is a show that everyone's going to see and it's a family show. So they can be both the two of them, but good value. So I, I'm going to choose them in. It is my pleasure to welcome my Irish teammates. I've got Baven Parsons, Connacht, an Irish winger, and I've got Dorothy Wall, Munster, an Irish back row. Girls, we've been trying to have you on for a long time, and we finally got you on ahead of the Women's Six Nations. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. 
so excited to talk to you and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy this conversation. Um, I suppose you two have been so lucky that you have started playing rugby from a really young age, completely different rugby journey to me. But we're going to just talk about your rugby journey and how you got to where you are now, two absolute rising stars in Irish women's rugby and the future of Irish women's rugby. Um, Dorothy, you have three brothers. It has to have started somewhere there, your rugby experience. Yeah, I suppose my three brothers always played down in Feathered and my dad would have coached and we'd be a very kind of rugby orientated family. And um, my mum, we would always kind of rode horses and stuff. But um, during transition year, Polly Murphy down at the club was like, look, will you give the rugby a go? Because I, I actually haven't said this before, but when I was like five or six, I went down to one of the rugby sessions. But I actually got really nervous and scared and saw all the boys on the try line. And I actually was like, dad, no, I actually, dad couldn't force me to go down. So I left when I was five or six, which... I'm not very proud of, but I came back when I was 16 then and got into it, played for the school and feathered, and that's where it all started for me, I guess. Did it help having three brothers at home, you know, that you're able to play with and, I suppose, rugby tackle and use them as the punch bag? Are you joking? They would not come out and pass with me if their lives depended on it. <laughs> I'd be lucky to get them out. And they, they're all kind of into kicking and stuff, and, like, the toe poke is my speciality because they're... Well, they're all backs, I think. So they'd be out like pace kicking and, you know, grubbers and whatnot. And doesn't really suit me that well. So we'd be different. But uh, sometimes Andrew, the youngest, will come out passing with me. But he generally goes inside fairly quickly. <laughs> all the all the skillful kind of things you're talking about there. Would you? Are you trying to say that you're not very skillful, Daryl? Oh, no, sure. I'd, ne- I'd never say that. But I will. if you see me kicking a ball in a game, you know we're in massive trouble. <laughs> Note to self, hopefully we won't see that anytime soon. So you started off oh, at God, the age of 16 with the, you went and you played rugby at 16. So not late, I suppose, relatively young as well. Um, yeah. And tell us about your journey then. You started with Feathered Rugby Club and continued on to Munster. And tell us how you got to the Irish women's senior team. Um, yeah, so I started in Feathered, played under 16 and under 18 with Feathered. And travelled to Cork, Limerick. Was down in Rose Green and Feathered two nights a week. My mum would do she's done serious mileage behind the wheel like getting me to different training sessions and then from club there was Munster underage and we'd be down in Cork or Limerick twice a week and I, I loved that um, and we had a great kind of setup that year and myself Enya and Emily were actually the back line would you believe for the Interpros and we won our last year with Emily at 10 me on the wing and Enya at centre so that was a good year. Um, and then from there, just kind of went into underage sevens, went to the Loughborough School Games and like the Youth Olympic Qualifiers in Vichy. So from underage sevens, I was brought into the senior sevens program just after my leaving cert. So I've been in the sevens program for three years and um, got captain Ukraine in 2019. And then was brought into 15s in late 2019 as well. So that's how I'm here today. It's been... A lot of rugby, but I've enjoyed it all. A lot of rugby. I think the one thing about both yourself and Maven is that you're, you're so lucky. You've so much rugby played and you're only, your 21st birthday is coming up on May the 4th. So you still have so many years oh, ahead God. of you. So many Put years. in the diary. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll have to celebrate that one. Bay, you weren't as scared of the boys, unlike Dorothy over here. You started hey, off your rugby. <laughs> <laughs> you started off your rugby yeah, career yeah. playing with the boys. 
Yeah, I suppose I did. I was under the impression that it was a mixed team. Uh, I found out fairly quickly it wasn't very mixed. I was the only girl. So, you know, they use that term very generously. But um, yeah, I think it was like under 10s or under 11s. And I loved it. I played a full season. We got to community games final. Um, you know, it was class. And then turned up the following season looking to play again and was told, you know, you can't play with the boys anymore. So that was me then at about 11, 12, hanging up the rugby boots and going back to Gaelic football, uh, thinking that was the end of my rugby career. Uh, little did I know. And they, why, do you <laughs> Until, think, why do you think they told you you can't play anymore? Was it genuinely because you were running rings around the boys? No, I wish that was the case. But I think you, you just get to a stage where like, the boys start to outgrow you and you know it just becomes a, a bit of a rule that you're not allowed to play anymore. But then a couple of years later, we set up a, a girls team and it was colossal. Like low, We had about 40 odd girls at training and it just took off in a huge way. And since then, you know, I probably skipped a couple of steps, uh, played with Connacht under 18s and then luckily got onto the Irish 7s. Met Grigsy there as a head coach and he sort of fast tracked me onto the, the senior setup at 16. So it was a... Um, not your typical textbook rugby pathway, but sure, we got there in the end. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't realise, like, Baven was 16 years old playing her first game against the United States in Donnybrook. Like, it was, it's a phenomenal achievement. But what's even more bizarre is that you weren't actually allowed to play interpros at senior level, but you played your first international senior game. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was weird. Um, you know, there, I was told I can't play senior club or I can't play uh, senior province. I still haven't, you know, played my first club match at senior <laughs> level, so still waiting to tick that box. Um, yeah, no, it was weird, and I, it, I was definitely out of my depth. So that, like, in that USA game, I'd never fully, you know, grasped. You know, I didn't have a, a smart rugby brain at that stage. Um, so definitely not working up through the pathways showed a little bit, but I think the last few years of training under my belt, I've sort of grown into the position a bit more. I wouldn't say that, Babe, and I think, you know, if you're old enough, you're good enough, and I think you have proved that, like, at the end of the day, it's not that long ago that you got your first cap, and I remember that very clearly. Um, your, very, your very first cap, we, your mum dropped you off into the, the lobby of the hotel, and she... Um, she chatted to me and a few of the girls, the older girls who were there, and she just asked us to mind you. Like you were going playing the international rugby oh, game no. against the USA and your mum was so <laughs> worried for you. Oh, I don't think she could, even still, I don't think she can make it through a full match without like, putting her hands over her eyes. Like the poor woman just can't stand rugby, but she, she makes it to all the matches anyway. Yeah. How special was that first cap? I suppose for anyone, I think for me coming from a Gaelic football background, the first cap ceremony is probably one of the most special, um, the special, special occasions in my rugby career. And even that jersey presentation the night before, we had Lynn Cantwell speaking to us, you know, phenomenal rugby player who has won, has done it all really with Irish women's rugby. And I remember she had a great speech, a really, really inspiring speech that day. And she, she presented us our jerseys, but... How how nervous were you ahead of that game? Yeah, yeah, I remember Lynn's speech as well. I remember how much she talked about, you know, the passion and her love for for the Irish jersey and the green colour. Um, I suppose at the time, 
I think I was so young and so naive that I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. And now only in reflection and with COVID and having time to look back on things, I realized how sort of colossal that was and that that was the start of my journey. So I think if I was to get my first cap tomorrow, it would nearly be more nerve wracking because it means so much more to me. But at the time, I think I was so overwhelmed with everything going on that I was just like zooming through the whole experience, uh, not even able to take it in. And is that why you were so overwhelmed that you managed to lose your jersey on your first cap night? Emer, Emer, I didn't think you'd do me like that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit yeah, about that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I may or may not have allegedly lost my first cap jersey. Uh, and I was in bed the night before a match, trying to get as much season as possible. And I wake up in a cold sweat I literally cannot for the life of me remember where my jersey is and note to self don't ever ring the manager as your first port of call <laughs> ring your players so I'm frantic pacing up and down the hotel room bear in mind I couldn't have a roommate because I was I was 16 and it was against child safety regulations or whatever so I don't (laughs) and um yeah so I ring Elaine Ryan at the time she was our manager and she's freaking out I'm freaking out don't have a clue where my jersey is uh she's trying to source another one like, as far as I know, it just evaporated into thin air until the next morning, Laura Feely taps me on the shoulder, hands me my jersey. Uh, did you forget something, basically? And God, yeah. I think, tell you, I didn't get much sleep that night, yeah. is an understatement. So not only did you get your first cap at 16, you also had a sleepless night worrying about where your jersey was. But that's definitely a memorable moment. Um, Dorothy, you got your first cap a year, a whole year later in the next Six Nations. Um your whole family were there. I remember seeing your gran. She was there, one of your main supporters. And we met her during family day last year at the Aeon Family Day. Um, you know, I played with you at Munster. I knew what you were capable of. I knew that you were absolutely ready to play rugby for Ireland. But um, you also have a very similar funny story about that day where you ended up texting your cousin Matt instead of Dr. Matt that day. Yeah. And this is one of this is one of the funniest <laughs> stories, and I think it's it's worth the airwaves. Oh, oh um, do I have to tell this? Absolutely. Story? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, I actually can't believe you've done this to me. I had kind of a funny oh my hair. I had kind of a funny stomach on the day of the match, and I uh, I texted Matt. Uh, who I thought was the team doctor at the time and I said um oh Matt my stomach feels really funny is there anything I can take um because you know it's match day and I don't want to be feeling sick for the game and so I texted Matt and he was like oh I can recommend like these alkaline things or have you tried like some ice water or going for fresh air and I was like yeah this is really helpful but can you actually give me the medication or whatever because you know I I need it and he kept like recommending stuff and I was like oh can I get that off you and then Matt was like I'm actually in the states right now are you in America as well and I was like wait like I've made I've made a big mistake here turns out it was my 25 year old American cousin who I whatsapped about my stomach issues on the day of my first cap 
who gave me lots of lovely advice, but was not who I wanted to, he to was know re- about He was that. really, really <laughs> kind. He was really kind he's with his really, life. No, he's a great guy. Like, oh my God, to say I was, I was mortified. And now I'm even more mortified because, oh my God. I'm Did like, you ever text Dr. <laughs> Matt and actually get the, to the right Matt that time? Oh, I did. Yeah, I got sorted. But uh, he told me to come up to his room straight away. But sure, that would have been what would have made sense in the first place. But I wasn't really thinking straight. Yeah, well, look, I think you got over that hump. I think you were both proof that first caps are stressful. And um, that's absolutely proof to the pudding that, you know, it doesn't know. It's not always plain sailing. But going back to the actual game, Dorothy, of your first cap, um, you were phenomenal when you came Mm -hmm. on. You hit everything that moved. Um, how special was it for you and your family? And I do, like, I, obviously your grand was there, but your dad was there, your mom was there, there was cousins. Um, how special was it for them, for you and for you to get your first cap? Oh, yeah, like, probably one of the best days I've had. Like, it was great. Like, it was great to just get on the pitch because when you're on the bench, it's like you're playing the match, but physically you're not, but mentally you're there. So I nearly exhausted myself in the first half. I was so into it. Like I was actually a little bit drained. But then once I got on, kind of got into the flow of the game, really enjoyed it and was like, right, okay. I kind of settled once I made the first hit and that kind of worked for me there. And it was great like to have me there. And a load of my friends actually came up from UCD who wouldn't have really rugby brains. Like when I was warming up on the sideline, they were screaming like and. I hadn't even gone on like I was just warming up and they were screaming my name and in fact it was a little embarrassing but I love the support but uh, no it was great it was great to have everyone there. Yeah that's something that we'll definitely miss you know this year with the Six Nations obviously you guys both played in November what was it like without having crowds there Bay? Yeah it was weird like I don't think you realise this uh, the extra one or percent that like having the crowd there gives you you know even in your warm-up and the buzz and just knowing that the whole stadium especially when it's on in Donnybrook are behind you you know it makes you push that extra extra bit harder it makes you run when your legs are are dead you know that extra one percent like you can still muster up the courage to win a match no matter what when you're wearing a green jersey but having the support of a full crowd and a full stadium you know cheering for you and cheering for your country it does give you that extra that extra yeah it absolutely does and I suppose all joking aside um it is a pleasure to play with the two of you and you know how have you both found the jump from underage rugby to senior rugby we'll go to you Daryl first and like what advice would you give younger girls that want to make that jump from under 18s that have probably missed out on a year's worth of rugby in the last in the last while with COVID you know they've missed out on that year of playing and training together but what advice would you give them? Um, I think asking questions is huge and being proactive and how you learn and you know, like getting all the advice from these really experienced players on the pitch. And then in terms of the team, like you have to be able to give them back the slagging they give you because like there's there's only one way to earn that respect and that's to be able to give it back and take it. And I've learned that the hard way because, you know, I wouldn't say bullying is the term, but I've certainly got my fair share of slagging in the last while, but I've come to terms with it. So you have to give as good as you get and just be proactive about improving and getting knowledge off older players I think yeah and who would be the worst on the team for the slag and Daryl oh it has to be the captain Peter Griffin and yeah. me. <laughs> like I, I don't know how she, 
I don't know how she's gone away with it thus far, but look, I'm not complaining. I, I, you know, but you know, wait till she sees those pink boots <laughs> at the weekend. Oh God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready for it. What about you? We know all about the pink boots flagging. I actually saw the back three the last day, and they all were wearing pink boots. And I was like, "What's the crack? Had everyone gone back to pink boots again?" I thought that was so two years ago, but no, they're back on the pink boots thing. That was so two years ago. Oh, you were. I, I never left the pink boots. I'm clearly not trending at the moment with the, without my pink boots. Um, Baven, what about you? What advice would you give girls that want to make that jump from underage up to senior level? Yeah, I think a major thing is giving yourself that grace period to, to, you know, get used to senior rugby. Don't be too hard on yourself on those first few trainings back. You know, everyone's going to be rusty. Things are going to be new. Systems are going to be new. It's going to be that little percentage faster. You know, give yourself that grace period to get used to the game, settle in, get to know your teammates. And, you know, from there on, you're just as good. If you've worked up the underage pathway, you've probably a lot of rugby under your belt anyway. So you're probably there, thereabouts with your teammates. You know, age is just a number. Um, you know, I think you're more than well capable of, of making that jump. So jump in the deep end, but also give yourself that grace period to get used to it. Yeah. What was your first impression of everyone when you came onto the squad as a 16-year-old? Like it's mental that you were a 16-year-old, then you had to go play the Welsh game and then go straight into your mocks. Like what is the mindset of a 16-year-old jumping into a squad like us? Yeah, you know, it was a weird dynamic going from obviously secondary school where I'm being taught by, you know, people your age, like half of you are teachers anyway and then going in and um you know you're you're my teammates so it was a weird dynamic and it was a weird shift at the start I remember one time Rugby Players Ireland came in and they were giving a talk about all the like services that they offer and I was there trying to like scribble down my maths homework and they were talking about you know pension advice and I was just like what in the world am I doing here? Like, what is going on? Pension advice. I haven't even done, like, fifth-year exams. Um, but, no, like, obviously, I grew into it, and now I love it. I, t- I take the slag in as much as I give it. But that first year, it was definitely a weird dynamic, and I, I was still finding my, my feet. And, you know, at 16, you're not always sure of yourself. And then going into a well-established squad, it can be a bit difficult. But, you know... Uh, I'm I'm glad I've I've had the years under my belt now. I can I can um, take the slagging. Yeah, you've slotted in seamlessly, Darrow. When you joined the squad, like what players really helped you along the way, or what coaches or, or what people in general helped you along the way to for advice, or who would you go to for advice if you weren't really sure? Um, I suppose as well as being a bully, like Junior has definitely helped me a lot. Like she you know she kind of I get a lot of slagging but there's a lot of useful things she tells me too and I think to be honest anyone in the forward pack Hannah O'Connor is a wealth of knowledge and so skillful Laura Feely's the same like there's there's loads of girls there who just loads of experience that it's just there for us to take really so like junior has been particularly helpful but there's lots of just forwards wise obviously the backs are so knowledgeable as well but for me those would be the standouts I think yeah, thanks for that there. Um, I suppose looking ahead to this year's <laughs> Six Nations, we face Wales next Saturday in Cardiff Arms Park at 5pm. It's on RTE as well, so it's very exciting. Um, Dorothy, it's been so long. How excited are you to get started? Oh, I'm buzzing. Can't wait. 
I, I am kind of the only thing on my mind. Like I'm just really excited to play. And I think that's all work. I think that's kind of how we all feel. Like we just want to be able to play a match and get going, get the whole campaign going and get in the swing of things really. Yeah. What about you, babe? Yeah, I feel like we're a jack in the box, you know, when you wind it up and we've had about 20 camps under our belt and we're just going to explode. You know, we just can't wait. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. And whatever team takes the park next or next Saturday week on the 10th, you know, I think everyone is ready at this stage. And I think there's such competition in the squad that um, I don't think we've ever been more ready. Um, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round. So I'm going to ask you every second question and I'm going to start with you, Dorothy. So we'll start with Dorothy, then move on to Baven. And I mean quick fire round. So mm. it's the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. <laughs> Dorothy. Yeah. One thing you would bring to a desert island? Uh, my phone. Baven, one person you would take into battle with you? Lindsay P. I knew you were going to say that. She'll be delighted. That's going to be me. Dorothy, how many times did it take you to pass your driving test? <laughs> I've yet to convert that. I haven't passed it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had passed Thank it. You. No, I it was the most disappointing thing ever. I got about eight grade threes. The driving instructor was swearing at me by the end of it. It was terrible. Oh my God, I was convinced you passed it. Baven. No, thanks for that. Baven, who has the best style on the team? Uh, best style. I'll say Emily. Um, Dorothy, who's the biggest joker on the team? Uh, Han O'Connor. Baven, what is your cheat meal? Scrum deadlies. Absolutely. And Dorothy, most importantly, when is your lip gloss tutorial coming out? <laughs> this is a joke. This has just been an absolute slating of me. It absolutely uh, has. It's on my YouTube channel too. too. Oh my god! Just oh, for anyone yeah. who doesn't know the background on that, we had a That's Zoom it. call pretty recently. <laughs> and what did you think your camera was off? Oh, I just—they went into the COVID regulations, and there was—it was like a PowerPoint in front of me, so I couldn't see faces, so I forgot that people could see me. Yeah, she, she got caught rotten. Because it was just there in front of me. She got absolutely caught rotten. Yeah. There's were, plenty, plenty of videos doing the rounds, I think, of Dorothy's lip gloss yeah. application. Grig, um, the worst thing was, though, the next training, Grigsby said it to me in the warm-up. He was like, oh, nice lip gloss, Dorothy. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, there's nothing worse. I was so low at that point. Oh, God. <laughs> you probably got it from the players group, and then you didn't think management knew about it, so there's nothing worse. Oh, I know. I thought, okay, maybe I've gotten away with it. Then Gracie says this to me, head coach. I was like, oh, class. <laughs> Girls, thank you so much for coming on today. It has been one of the most enjoyable chats I've had. I hope that everyone really enjoys listening to both Dorothy Wall and Baven Parsons, who hopefully will be ripping it up in this year's Women's Six Nations. And our first game starts Saturday week, the 10th, against Wales in Cardiff Arms Park at 5pm. So make sure that you tune in on RTE. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed.